This is Lantern Cast Presents Pre-Birth! Episode 9. Episode 9, but issue 10. Yes. There's no way that could get confusing. No, and it's not going to get much better when we do, like, the next episode will be a couple of issues in that, that we'll cover in that episode, so it's just not going to get much better. <laughs> yeah. Maybe when we start doing some non-actual, uh, more... Different Spectre appearances, but not from the actual numbered, you know, the regular issue, the regular title, I should say, then uh, then maybe at some point we can catch up again. <laughs> maybe. Uh-huh. <laughs> we'll make it our mission. <laughs> so we're talking about issue 10, and this is a Joker last laugh tie-in. Do you remember much about this uh, storyline? I remember almost next to nothing about this storyline. <laughs> uh the only, I think the only other issue I had was the Doomsday one. Just be, uh, I forget which Superman title that probably was in. And I was all ready to go, like, Google Joker's Last Laugh to see what that crossover storyline was supposed to be about. But once you reread this issue, you don't have to because they pretty much tell you exactly what, what the whole point of it was. <laughs> yeah, you know, and what's what's funny is that, I, like, I I must have read this when it came out, but... Like, I don't know, for whatever reason, I guess I wasn't thinking about it in terms of the storyline. I had, like, no idea what that storyline was about when it was happening. I Like, the only thing I remember was reading the, like, the Green Lantern issue. And I think that there was a Superman issue that tied into Green Lantern. Where, like, Kyle, like, did something crazy, you know, and powerful while under the influence of the Joker or something like that. Because the Green Lantern one was Graven, right? I believe. I, I think it was yeah, Graven. I don't remember it at all. It was uh, it was leading up to the um, the whole Ion storyline. Let's see, 2001. This is 2001. So, yeah, I th- I'm pretty sure I remember. I think I remember Graven's... I, re- I think I remember Graven's face, so it probably was some, but let's see if I can find it anyway. Uh, <laughs> Facial engravings. Yes, you gotta ha- you, you gotta have that uh you gotta have all that last laugh official tie-in stuff. <laughs> you have to look batshit crazy, no pun intended. There's the do- there's the Doomsday cover. I I do I do remember that one. Um, it was actually Superman, yeah. Doomsday Rex, not the best look of, not the best look on Doomsday of all time either. But oh yes, yes, okay, I remember that cover. But I do, yeah, I, that that cover, that cover did stand out like a sore thumb. I just couldn't actually remember which uh, which actual Superman book they had it appear in. But uh, yep, there's there's Graven. Yeah, it was Graven. Issue one forty three. You're right, it was, it was right right knocking on the door of uh, the main body of Ion. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, because like he, you know, he ended up doing something. Uh, what was it? Uh, oh yeah, it was uh, Superman in Action Comics, uh, issue seven eighty four. That like he was getting like super powerful while under the influence of Joker. Oh yep, there's a cover for that one too. Yep. Yeah. So. But, anyway. Yes, but but like we both said, for the most part, we don't remember. We didn't remember much about the storyline. This was one of those kind of DC events that kind of really wasn't. It never really. Yeah. Went, it never really went anywhere, or never really was that big. So. 
But it did lead to some interesting one, you know, one-off issues. This being one of them. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's a nice, nice change-up. Yes, I, and I figured you would like this one much like you, much like you appreciated the the Two-Face one-off issue. This is kind of like you can't go on with a parallax one-off issue, though. Um... Yeah, well, you know. I definitely, definitely still like the Two Face One like significantly more though. Oh yeah, yeah, I agree. I, th- I do agree because there's deep, there's there's deeper themes I think being dealt with in that issue. Yeah, this this is like I, there were a couple of things that I didn't really agree with, and we'll get into that, you know, as we go through. But I mean, like the fact that Parallax looked so much like the Joker in this. It was just kind of like distracting from who you know Parallax actually is. That is true. It is a little. It's hard to focus on what he's saying, and the point he's trying to get across to Hal and, and their interaction when when all you're really seeing is you're kind of physically seeing you know the Joker in a basically the Parallax costume and the jo- and Parallax kind of like throwing out some one-liners just because he's Jokerized. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's it's. It, it's absolutely like a parallax through the lens of the Joker. So they did pull that off. I mean, like, I guess pretty well. But I mean, like, by the same token, like, how much how how much better would it have been if you were just reading like Spectre versus Parallax, you know, without like the whole Joker theme involved? Yes, especially knowing what we know now. <laughs> Anyway, Sorry. go for it. I was going to say I should probably just jump right into the the body of this issue. So as you mm-hmm. met, this is issue 10, uh, The Return of Parallax, even though the actual title, in, the issue title in, t- in the interior is laughing at myself. <laughs> How a pro- with a pretty cool opening splash page. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the creative team, uh, still J.M. DeMatteis, the writer, Craig Hamilton, Greg uh, Guest Penciler, who was also the penciler in the Two-Face issue. Ray Snyder inkers pages what one through five, seven. What the hell is that after that? It almost looks like it's the seven through oh nine 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 something. Uh, nine nine. It almost looks like nine point nine. Uh, yeah, inker. Uh, twenty two. Is it twenty two? Yeah, it yeah, is. Okay, uh, it's one just through the way five. The, it's just the way the font was written when I'm trying to squint through here, moving my glasses. You're right. It's one through yeah. five, seven through twenty two. Jim yeah. Royal inked page six. Oakley, Bill Oakley, the letterer. James Sinclair did the color separations. Morgan Dontonville was the assistant editor. And Dan Raspler was the editor. No Eddie Berganza on the... Yay! <laughs> <laughs> uh, so we begin with a really awesome splash page of, as Jim described, the Jokerized Parallax just kind of laughing. But the little narrative by Hal, kind of like, repulsive, isn't he? <laughs> And we and the, the issue actually begins with this Jokerized parallax uh, hol, holding the, the, the severed head of the Spectre, talking about you know like you know you thought I was gone forever but you know I'm not and it's like uh life is nothing but full of surprises and and he and who would have ever thought that parallax would be back in business and then in uh, parallax proceeds to punt. <laughs> Or dropkick, if you will. Either one, the same thing, essentially. The Spectre's head pretty much out of the stadium and going far, far, far away, as we find out later on. But this is one of those issues that starts in media reyes. So as Hal, as the narrator, tells us, you know, that's right, this is Spect- this is Parallax. I, it used to, I used to be him before I died, but this isn't Parallax. Exactly. It, it, it's the Joker too, sort of. It's like, oh, this is kind of, it's confusing, isn't it? Well, let's let, let's go back a few hours and maybe it's going to make more sense. Mm-hmm. It uh, doesn't. It, 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 it makes a little bit more sense, but but if you're looking for Chris, but as we've as we've already discussed in this in this book, <laughs> if you're really looking for a lot of cr- clarity or crystal clear black and white answers, this is not the title for you. Yeah. <laughs> There's a lot of, you know, ambiguity going on in this book. So yeah. it's part of its charm and maybe part of its uh, downfall at the same time. So basically we, when we go back two hours earlier, we end up in the Utah desert back at Hal's Little. What, what did we determine we were going to call this? <laughs> I don't remember. I don't remember either. I thought we came up with some snazzy name we were going to call this. 
but it, it still kind of has uh, uh, which McCullough does Fortress of Solitude in the desert. Yeah. Uh, so Hal sitting sitting there on his that's a, in his weird it almost looks like a dentist chair at this point. <laughs> it doesn't look like much of a throne. Yeah. It, I just realized that now because of the way the head goes back. It almost looks like almost looks like it's a, like a medical chair. Uh, but he looks awesome sitting there in his spe- in his not his monk or cleric robes in his Hal in his specter outfit. And Hal and Abin Sir are kind of talk are kind of having conversations and you know Abin's kind of prodding him a little bit. Look at you! Look at you've been up all night brooding. It's like. A, <laughs> Didn't you tell me once you weren't much of a deep thinker? And Hal's just trying to process, you know, everything that's going on, you know, with his his brother and sister-in-law being killed, and now he has to t- now he has to take care of Helen, and all this stuff. And you know, we see this leads Abin and Hal to go visit Helen in in, in her astral bedroom, if you will. <laughs> uh, Abin Sir seems pretty comforting. Uh, we kind of get. We get more of an expl- I think as the book goes on, we get a little bit more of an explanation for why Abin's got some, I guess, fatherly instincts besides what we know now. And uh, we've seen we've seen more of the domestic side of Abin Sir, you know, certainly in years after this is- this issue. So I think it makes a little bit more sense. So Abin so Abin's trying to comfort Helen because of everything she just went through with the loss of her parents. Uh, Abin Sir explains, you know, it's important to realize that life doesn't begin and end, you know, with these physical forms. You know, we exist before we were born. We're going to exist after. This, kind of perpetuating the idea, and which will be revisited in this issue again by Hal, the idea that we kind of all live, you know, countless lives and we experience different things. So, mm-hmm. so it just continues on. It doesn't really end. Doesn't mean it doesn't hurt, but but nonetheless. While this is going on, you know, Abin's still comforting her, and Hal, all of a sudden, uh, Hal gets this really weird sensation and, and feeling, and Hal just says, you know, Helen, I, I have to go. So she, he leaves Abin, sir, to take care of Helen, and then all of a sudden, he kind of, like, realized that, uh, you know, he, he, he literally describes it like he feels like his soul was in, had just been injected with toxins. And he goes, as if there was a psychic poison spreading rapidly throughout the world. And guess what? There is! <laughs> It's the Joker, and I like that panel because he almost looks like the Cesar Romero Joker there. Yeah, yeah, he does. He, sans mustache, of course, but he does have that. He does have that same, more of your Cesar Romero look to the Joker. Mm-hmm. And this is where we kind of get our our uh, definition or explanation of what this whole Joker's last laugh event was. And basically, as Hal puts it, you know, the Joker was dying in his own twisted way. He wanted to make sure that you know his life. And specifically, his death had meaning. So he essentially managed to infect dozens of the most dangerous criminals, you know, on Earth with a madness, a disease that basically made them all over to a certain extent in his image. And I kind of like the Joker and his and his like pseudo disciples that are hanging out on Easter Island. Uh-huh. That's pretty cool. I like I like with his little uh, green converse on too. And That's a nice touch. And yeah. it, it, it is a it is a nice touch as he's waiting there for the cable guy to show up. <laughs> <laughs> so Hal, Hal does what he's done several times already and probably will continue to do, which is kind of like get a little too cocky in what his abilities are. Not necessarily just what the Spectre's ultimate powers could be, but Hal's mastery and understanding of them. So Hal, just because you know, the Joker is essentially now like a living virus, a, pl- a, plague on, a plague on legs, which was a nice little way of describing it. That he figured all he had to do was basically go into the Joker's mind, and because of the power that the Spectre had, he pretty much thought he could essentially burn out. Sounds familiar. He could like burn out the disease. <laughs> but, yeah. Yeah. It didn't, it didn't work out the last time either. Well, well, the, or yeah, the most recent time, yes. <laughs> but what happens was more or less, which is kind of a cool image. He he goes into the uh, the Joker's brain. He kind of gets rejected and shot out. We kind of get a physical. It's a, a physical uh, description, not a description, but we get to see it physically exactly how much he was rejected because we see we see the specter's boots still sitting on the, on the ground on Easter Island while the yeah. while the specter is being like shot off way into space and, and to it, the moon. Although right, he does make he does eventually make it. To, he does eventually <laughs> make it to the moon, Alice. He does eventually make it to the moon. Uh, but it's kind of funny because. To show you that they are paying attention when you actually get to see the Spectre at his feet for the first time, he's not wearing his boots. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That was a nice touch. Uh, oh, man. It was kind of funny. So 
So Hal ends up pretty much being <laughs> being like face face down here on the moon, and he's like, you know, his he's let's just say that what I touched was like coming in contact with all the madness in creation. But and Hal says, but even as I streaked towards the Earth, you know, things were getting worse. Oh, much, much worse. And we kind of see almost – it's cool because it, like, forms almost like an embryo and then kind of, like – and then kind of grows and stretches out. And basically this is when we first see the Jokerized parallax. And I really like that, pan, that panel right before he goes, hello, universe, because that, that looks like classic parallax more than anything. Yeah, yeah, and definitely. And that's pretty awesome. You can kind of see the smile, which is weird because now we see the smile. We think of the stupid fear entity. But you kind of – yeah, right? But you see the smile, which is kind of represented – Representing that the joke, the Joker aspect of this version of Parallax, but at the time it does that one panel anyway. It looks more like your classic Parallax. So, ha- so the Jokerized Parallax is like, "Hello, universe! Did you miss me?" <laughs> and thus begins the, the the conflict between Hal Specter and and Hal Joker Parallax, and this and. We, Again, par- the parallax here we have is you know really trying to be funny. It's like, oh, Hallie is like, can you believe it? It's like you were infected by the Joker virus and it pretty much latched on you know into your psyche and <laughs> your own personal demon, which is me, the part that you're afraid of if you're, because of what you've done before. Hey, it took over me and look, I'm back. <laughs> and how you know how pretty much just lashes out using his power as a specter and he just he <laughs> he really really lays into parallax, but of course. It doesn't do much. You know, Parallax points out, you know, it's like, hey, you know, cowboy, I'm not just a, I'm not just a Jokerized manifestation of your psyche. I'm a, I'm a seething hunk, of, which is interesting, of the Spectre's mind stuff, too. And since you're being such a goody two-shoes, as he calls him, it's like, you, you know, you really haven't tapped into the full potential of your power, because once again, you're still afraid of having that unlimited power. It's like, not me, brother! <laughs> and, you know, uh, Hal Spectre kind of is like, get off me, you lunatic. It's like, you don't know me at all. Um, and Parallax just, you know, it's like, frankly, it's like, I'm kind of shocked. It's like, I thought, it's like, I thought you were the spirit of redemption these days. And here you are trying to go like almost like old school, re- you know, vengeance on him. It's like, well, I thought you would, I thought you would try to tr- appeal to my good nature to try to save my soul. And in the spec, you know, Hal Specter goes, "Yes, yes, I do." And it goes, "You're you're a part of me. It's like you are me." And the truth is, I've already redeemed that part. Uh, when I was when I was Parallax, you know, I gave my life to save the universe. You gave your life to save the universe. It's like there's still a spark of decency inside you, and I call that forth. You're just a fragment, Parallax. It's like a par- a small little jagged piece of my mind. It's like by integrating you back with the whole, you know, I would redeem you here and now. And as Hal says, my logic was flawless, or so he th- or so I thought. <laughs> because no sooner does he pull Parallax back inside of him, you know, the Joker, the Jokerized head pops out of his chest, and it's like, uh, like he kind of forgot something. It's like the, the, the part that you redeemed and everything, the good part of you, that wasn't me. That was you. <laughs> it's like it's not going to quite work like that. It's like believe me. It's like, believe me, now that I'm back, and thanks to the Joker, I finally got the sense of humor that we kind of were lacking before. It's like, but I'm not dying again, and I got, you know, pretty much, I got things to do, starting with babysitting. And, of course, <laughs> as Hal's kind of like, I'll, it's kind of interesting seeing Hal kind of like floating around in that in his Spectre costume right there, because it kind of looks more like, uh, reminds me, for some reason more than usual, just reminds me more of how Hal's Spectre costume looked when he first got the power. At the in the the, the, the day of judgment storyline, when he okay. first when he first showed up with the white gloves and it just it just looks so much. That's what it reminds me of more. So Hal's kind of like Hal's kind of like still stunned from the, uh, Parallax pulling himself out of uh, the inside of the specter. Again, another interesting concept we've seen. We're going to see again. We have seen before now, but at the time we were going to see again. Hal realizes he's talking about Helen when he said babysitting. So we see Parallax sitting in that same dentist-looking chair and kind of playing, kind of playing game, literally playing games with Helen, holding her like a on energy-constructed strings, making her like a marionette. And, and this is a kind of a cool scene where Abin Sur kind of, you know, kind of steps up to defend Helen. It's like I swear, you know, I swear to you that I have the power to. And, and I kind of like this. The Joker parallax just like kind of drops to his knees. It's like, oh please, Mister Dear Green Lantern, please don't hurt me. <laughs> it's like I'll promise to be good. It's like a, 
And as he's doing that, and and as he's doing that, what he 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 swaps uh, Ab and Sir down with a fly swatter, an energy constructed fly swatter, which is a nice touch. But then right on cue, and I love the boots with the like the like the skull like on the boots. Mm-hmm. Uh, that Hal, Hal Specter shows up, kind of looking like a giant cowboy, <laughs> and he steps right on Parallax and crushes him to the ground. Like it's like you're, it's like I really do need to. De- you're right, I do need to develop a sense of humor. You kind of get it. You, you know, you called me a cowboy, you called me a sheriff, and here I am. You got it? I'm dressed like one. <laughs> and all Parallax goes says, "Yeah, that was mildly amusing, <laughs> but it didn't do a damn thing to stop me." And it's like, uh, you know, we're pretty evenly matched, so we're, this could go on for like forever. So why don't you save us? A lot of trouble. Save yourself trouble, and why don't you surrender? <laughs> and Hal goes, I don't think so. And Parallax goes, I do. And, you know, they're about to square off. Helen's kind of like, you know, kind of pleading pleading with Uncle, you know, for for Hal, you know, not to not to give up, not to give in. So, but basically, Hal as pa- tries to make a, he seemingly is making a deal with Parallax or trying to. It's like, uh, give me your word that you won't hurt her and I'll surrender. Parallax goes, okay, you got it. And, and I like this. Well, hallelujah. <laughs> get it? Hallelujah. <laughs> oh, he, he I get it. I get it. I get it. I get it. That is a nice touch. And, and, this is, and this is the moment where Parallax plucks Hal's head from the Spectre body. And he, and he proceeds to, uh, like, uh, he, he kind of says, hey, you know, I'm, I'm, well, I'm sending you, basically, you might come back eventually, but it's going to be, like, hundreds of thousands of years, and just think of all the damage I can do in the meantime. So, now, of course, Hal's head gets punted, punted into space, into another dimension, pretty much. Um, and, you know, Parallax is all there, kind of happy, and saying, you know, what am I going to do next? So, like, I have pretty much, I have all this unfinished business to do, and as he's about to do that, all of a sudden, you know, he starts hearing a voice as uh, the Spectre starts talking to him. It's like, I really have to thank you, Parallax, for sending me into the void, you know, a place beyond, you know, time and all, everything else. It's like, and beyond our conscious limitations. And basically we get to the point where, once again, you know, I'm, I'm more than who I am now. I'm more than what I was when you were a piece of me. You're, you're just a small piece of one part of me at one time. You're, you're it's like a teeny tiny part. And at the end of the day, you know, I, I'm... I'm beyond all that. You know, I'm spirit. I'm beyond all that. I'm connected to the logos that God merged with me, you know, to the, you know, the to, as, they, as they phrase it, to the oversoul itself, to the divine presence that contains and surpasses everything in creation. So compared to everything, as I, I, and I like the way he phrased this, viewed from that perspective, you're just one small aspect of one small incarnation, just a minor drifting thought in the sea of eternity, which means you really amount you really don't amount to anything, do you? And at that point, because of the fact that it isn't just that he pulled Parallax into this version of Hal, he kind of put, he kind of like, Parallax has kind of like been absorbed into everything. And because of that, Hal's able to basically beat Parallax. Mm -hmm. Uh, So at that point, so, which is kind of a cool moment, uh, certainly for Hal internally, and it's a cool moment Hal gets reunited back with Helen and Ab and Sir, and everything, everything seems hunky-dory, and it's kind of cool that uh, – and Abin looks really awesome on that page when he's actually handing that over the book. But he turns over the book and says, why don't we pick up where we left off with, like, the fourth of Helen's Narnia books there, The Last Battle, appropriately enough, by C.S. Lewis. And Hal's about to start reading, and all of a sudden he hears a voice, and Hal's like, what do you want? And he goes, well, actually, the proper question is, what do you want, Hal Jordan, because you called me. And waiting for him on the last splash page is the Phantom Stranger. Nice. The, the end. But it was a good issue. <laughs> um, what you call it, the book that they're reading, the last battle? It's not the fourth book; it's the fourth chapter. Of I the did book. say that, but but isn't but isn't that what isn't that what the books isn't what the isn't that one of the Narnia books called the last battle? Yeah, yeah, it's, it's actually the last one. I think it's like number seven. Right, so I guess he must be viewing all the whole Chronicles of Narnia as just one big book, I guess, in Abin's mind, I guess. Yeah, well, he says, he's like, we were just starting Chapter 4 of Helen's Narnia book. Right, but aren't they individual, but they technically are individual books. Right, yeah. Right. Yeah, so he's just, they're they're just reading the the final book in the series. Right. Right. Yeah. 
Yeah, the last battle is actually about, like, the apocalypse, basically. An appropriately, t- an appropriately themed book under any circumstance for the Spectre. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Yeah, pretty much. Absolutely. See an Aslan tie in into yep. this book sometime. <laughs> Jokerize Aslan. Uh, right. Let's see. Yeah, where do you begin, Jim? Oh, God. I I like the fact that... Some, okay, visually, while I wasn't too big on the Jokerize parallax, I mean, aside from that, there were a lot of things that were really well done in this issue. You know, like... Like, the fact that when Hal is just kind of, like, lounging in his dentist chair, like, you can see his mask and his gloves off next to him. That is true. And he basically runs off, and, like, you basically see him without those for almost, like, the whole story. It's, like, not until I think he, like, reincorporates himself after the cowboy thing. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's no. He still has no gloves on then. When he when he's kneeling before the Spectre, saying, I mean, before Parallax saying, "I'll surrender," he's he still doesn't have his gloves on. Oh right, yeah, but he does have his. He has his boots back on after that. Right, he's he's not. He's pretty much not or almost not completely back together until after he comes back from the void, and that's the closest thing. He doesn't have his mask, but of course we know the monk Spectre doesn't. It's like almost like a combination of the two at that point, because he doesn't have the mask, which the monk Spectre never does, but he's pretty much wearing the full Spectre costume again. Yeah. <clears throat> so, that was interesting. Yes, it was. Just in, just the mere use of that, just the mere use of uh, how... It was just an interesting concept to not have him wearing his full uniform and seem, and carry it forward, because it would have been really easy at any time just to have his costume come back on, and you wouldn't probably wouldn't think twice about it. Because of his power set, but yet they kept they kept it going from the time he got knocked out of his boots on Easter Island to, like you said, without it, without his gloves, without. That's probably why he looked so much like to me. Why he looked so much like maybe the fir- the first time we saw Hal as the Spectre when his unif- when his costume was so much more seemingly white. Maybe in in con- and probably in context it seemed a little more white than it did, but more green kind of came into it after the fact. But I think that might be why, because again, because he's he's technically missing his boots and his gloves and everything else at that point. I don't know how the Joker was drawn at this time period, but like in this in this issue, he looks a lot like basically like a cross between the um, the Super Friends Joker and uh, like Ace Ventura, Pet yes. Detective. Yeah, he. De- I think he's. Spo- I think he really is. I mean, I definitely think he's supposed to look like Ace Ventura when he's on Easter Island. I think that that is true. I think that's definitely. Okay. Uh, I do. Th- I kind of suspect that he's. And his hair. His hair certainly does. Right when the spec when the specter first shows up and he's kind of hovering over him. I think that he definitely looks like. So I wouldn't be surprised if that was if that was in- intentional, especially with the Which, shirt too. Especially also, then you also have the call out to uh, the cable guy. Yep. Yep, that so. could be, yeah, that's that's probably a, that's a good tie into a good pickup there. So yeah, um, yeah, I, I mean, God, where do you go with this issue? <laughs> the the mask, the uh, the Joker mask, like with those the triangles under the eyes. Yes. Like, what do you think that is indicative of? You know, like, because when you look at the face on, like, the first splash page, it's like, I'm thinking, okay, well, I guess it might have something to do with, like, like a Batman-esque. Yeah, definitely. On the, fr- on the first page, you're correct. That, that exact, it absolutely looks like Batman, like the bat symbol. Yeah. So that could be, that could be a clever little ploy there. Uh, I'm not, you know, I'm not entirely sure if it's. Again, supposed to be some like almost like a clown makeup base too. Yeah, uh, that's the yeah, the other thing. Yeah, and then also on that splash page, like you have like the one green eye, and then the other eye that you only see half of is kind of like cosmicy energy looking. Yes. So that's another thing. 
I like, I really like the idea that, you know, Helen, you know, both her parents have, have died and, you know, she's like, well, I, I know that they're okay, but I'm still really sad because I miss them, you know, but I know I shouldn't because they're in heaven. You know, it's like, that's pretty dumb, right? And Abin Sir is like, you know, at first he's like, well, it's important to realize that life doesn't begin and end with these <laughs> physical forms. It's like, blah, 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 blah. It's like, but that doesn't mean you shouldn't be sad. Like, you know, it's like he goes from like this really clinical explanation to, you know, like something very real and very honest to tell a child. That is so. true. That was that was really cool. It's a little dichotomy in Abin Sur. He's got that up that uptight by the book part of him, and then he's got then he's got the uh, you know that the warm fuzzy side, which which I guess over time he, he gets more comfortable sharing. But but yeah, I like the uh, the Jokerized images that we see on Hal's like floating disc screens. Yes, the, Mount Rushmore. Uh, yeah, the whole planet with a smile on it, and then the uh, the Washington Monument going through the Capitol building. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yeah. Uh, let's see. And Parallax, even though again, let's let's move the face aside. The, the Hamilton does a good job drawing, certainly the costume. Oh, absolutely! He's absolutely, really, really, really good. I mean, the Hamil—I think Hamilton's style really, certainly, really does work to a large extent in this in this book. It may not, ironically, it may not work as well with your classic Hal Specter look. It may actually work a little bit better with the Monk Specter look, even though, <laughs> I, even though it's not my favorite look. Clearly, not yours either. But, but his, but him, his drawing of the of Parallax is just. Really spot on. He gets that costume almost down to a, almost Daryl like getting it down to doing getting it by the book. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, um, I don't know. I think I, okay. So one of the issues that I did have with this was how like the parallax version went after Helen. You know, like that was the part that was kind of weird. That and the fact that like, you know, how he was talking about his brother and the brother's wife. Yes. And you know, like that stuff was like over the top comic-y villain type stuff that was never really something tied to parallax. You know, like, yeah, Parallax may never have had a, a sense of humor. Hal may have never have had a sense of humor, but, like, he was never, like, you know, okay, well, out of all the people that I want to torment, like, the ones that I actually do love, we'll start with them. You know what I mean? Yes. I do. I, I absolutely get that. I guess the only explanation would be kind of like he was telling Hal about when he was making it clear that, hey, you know, it wasn't me. You know, it wasn't me who was, you know, help sacrifice and save anything, or the good guy, you know, you're the actual, you were the good, you were the good part of Parallax, you're, and you're the Spectre, so this is kind of like the not good part of Parallax. The non, the non-Hal, making, not the non-Hal influenced part of the Spectre. As, as he kind of said, like, you know, couldn't stand having everyone thinking you were less than perfect, so you fought your way back to the surface, and you managed to kill us both, which is kind of an interesting take on the whole, even what we know now, about parallax, it's kind of an, it's still something that's very relatively appropriate, as mm-hmm. a you know the fighting to the surface, regaining control, even no matter even though what you know what it was going to lead to for both of them. So I kind of like that aspect, and I think that's probably the only real explanation is that this is kind of like the physical manifestation of parallax, but Hal's the the in the inner conscience of Hal, which was kind of like kind of holding parallax back sometimes, and and was able to influence Parallax sometimes, kind of like Bruce Banner with the Hulk in a way, that that mm-hmm. part was now removed. So that's why this Parallax didn't, didn't. But I agree, it's kind of it's kind of an odd choice, but 
you could probably also tie it on the fact that the Joker is so screwed up that that that's that's crap the Joker would do. <laughs> oh, you know, and that reminds me actually uh, the other thing about how the the like the basically the psychic feedback that the Joker, you know, that that the Spectre, you know, gets when he goes into the Joker's mind. You know, like, obviously, it, it all had to happen this way for the story to work at all. But, I mean, like, you know, he's the Spectre, and, like, he can't take out the Joker on any level. I, you know, like, I understand, like, maybe you have some issues with, like, these villains that are, like, not really people, but more, like, concepts. But, I mean, like, after dealing with enough of these, like, concept, high-concept villains... Like, you would think that you'd have, like, a little bit more ability to take out, like, the Joker. But, I mean, like, they give, you know, some different explanations and whatnot. And plus, plus we, we know he's already been in the Joker's head. Because he was in the Joker's head at the end of uh, JLA 35. When, and that was how they kind of got Hal to realize that he was kind of, like, projecting his own fears when he was seeing the potential worst in all the JLA members because of his own fear about what he did when he, you know the worst part of him coming out, and he could, he could imagine seeing the worst of all the members of the Justice League, and, and kind of like how they ended up getting out of it was when the Manhunter took them into the Joker's brain to see that in, even inside the Joker's head, they were still the good part, you know? There was one part that wasn't nuts, if you will. Yeah. But I guess, again, you could probably explain it away because now this Joker's now in, on a, in a different point in time, and he's got different things going on with his, you know, quote-unquote, pending death. And trying to make sure, like his death means something, that maybe he's, that's you know his mindset clearly isn't the same. So maybe that's why Hal's having a lot of different luck, if you will. Just yeah, just mere merely entering his brain is causing more problems than he would have suspected. Maybe. Yeah, I I mean yeah, like they they do give a they give an almost satisfactory explanation. It's just like, well, I'll say this: they give a good explanation for what they did you know, to get the story to where they needed it to go. My, my, um, issue is basically, you know, not so much with all that. It's just that the specter in general should not have to deal with problems like this. I agree. You know, and they do seem, and for better or for, for worse, they do seem to get away with it or want us to buy into the fact that, and it makes sense to a certain extent. There's no doubt about it. But they they go to this well maybe one time, you know, way too often. The the idea that because Hal is a knew what he's doing, b he's not entirely comfortable with the entire power set of the Spectre, nor is he trying to embrace exactly everything the Spectre is, and thus gaining gaining all the power. That that sets Hal up for these situations because he's not he's he's. He is literally holding himself back as well as not taking the steps he would need to be beyond all this. So I think that's kind of how they want us, why, how they want us to buy into, uh, buy into this. But yeah. Now, when the Joker, like you know, when he gets that feedback loop, when the Spectre gets the feedback loop from the Joker, and he blasts off to the moon, what is that little like thing coming out of the moon that looks like a tower? You see that? Is that what it's before it starts forming into the embryo? You mean? Yeah, yeah. Like the panel right before you see Hal like crumpled on the ground of the moon. Oh, oh, oh! Now you're right. Is it? Could that be the watchtower? The watchtower. At this point, was it? There was a was the watchtower on the moon? It could have been. Could. Well, they had something on the moon, didn't they? Because that's where they, uh... They had something. I thought they had something, because they were... Isn't that where they ended up tr temporarily transporting Doomsday when he got stuck in the transporter? Wasn't that on the moon? Wasn't that on the moon before they sent... But, I can't... I don't... I, you know, like, at this point, like, I don't remember where they were in terms of moon or satellite. But it is kind but of... I, but, it's I, a possibility. Yeah, I think that could... I think that could be corrected, because isn't that, uh... Because that's where in, in Emerald in Emerald Knights, that's where Hal and, and Kyle ended up squaring. Hal, Kyle, and Parallax ended up squaring off was when uh, somewhere I think I think on the moon originally because that, because of the, the Watchtower up there. So I, th I think that could possibly still be that could be, could be could be something else. But I think theoretically, I think it could have been 
time frame wise, I could be correct. Okay. <clears throat> I think anyway, off the top of my head. The way the I just love that how the energy like the energy construct looking embryo kind of forms into parallax. That's pretty cool. Yeah, it's almost um, alien like. Exactly. That's exactly what I was thinking. Yeah, that's what it looks like. Especially the first one. The first one yeah. clearly, clearly looks like uh, looks like alien. Looks like a. I also liked on the page when uh, when when Hal you know when uh, Spectre is kind of like being. Ex- talked down to for the one of the countless times by Parallax when he goes the not me brother part that Parallax when uh when he's kind of telling Hal you know you're the goody two shoes and you can't you just won't embrace the full power of the Spectre out of your potential mm-hmm. that when he's getting that the Spectre is being bombarded by like t- by like thousands and thousands of little Parallaxes yeah yeah that's cool yeah that that, that is a that is a cool that is a cool scene. It was a. I mean, I I like. In a way, it's kind of it kind of. Maybe it was the only real way they could kind of do this to have Parallax versus the Spectre in the series, but. And it's not the worst way of all time to do it. It's just unfortunate that uh, you would think this would have been an, if there was going to be one arc that should that deserved at least two issues, it would have been that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I, I I agree with that. We kind of we kind of I think we kind of got shortchanged kind of got shortchanged on this one. Um, Would have been nice if, like, you know, you deal with, like, the Jokerized version of Parallax in this one, and then, like, by the end, he had wiped the Joker's influence from Parallax, but then still had to deal with him next issue. True. Or they could have been nice. Or they could have done even some kind of weird kind of time travel brouhaha where hacked Spectre Hal has the opportunity to deal with himself. At some point, I mean that, but I think again they still were trying. I think they were trying trying to avoid a lot of the, even though we know the parallax theme is or the, the legacy of parallax and what that means to Hal, is an overriding theme throughout this whole book. But I think they still were trying to not. I think they were trying to start distancing distancing themselves from parallax, to a large extent, just because they wanted to move Hal beyond the villain stage, or to be remembered as the villain. So it kind of on that level, it kind of makes sense why you wouldn't want to have. Too much, too much of parallax in here, but it does seem like it kind of a a wasted, wasted opportunity on multiple levels just because of the fact that he, you know, he he as he phrases it in the, in the story, you know, he is what, you know, that's the part of himself that he's afraid of, mm-hmm. is the parallax part, which again works nicely with the Spectre, knowing that the Spectre as a whole has some fear towards what. Parallax as in you know, the entity, really, but Parallax as in someone hosting Parallax, that there's a fear that the Spectre has of that combination, no matter who right. it is. That, that I like. I like. So there. So again, as we've noticed before, there are, there are lots of these threads that we can still connect even going forward with everything we know now, and I think that kind of in a way adds to the enjoy to the enjoyment and and the. And the nostalgia of going back and looking at this, that it, the, the you know the pieces that kind of the dots, everything they kind of they kind of connect well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. It's almost like like Jeff Johns, you know, coming after this, like just really focused on everything and arcing, you know, created something really amazing on top of it. They should really just put him in charge of everything. <laughs> Dafura, Jeff Johns, <laughs> and, and and after the reviews of Suicide Squad, they. Maybe he will be. Maybe he'll get another promotion like next week. <laughs> Emperor Johns. Emperor Johns. <laughs> DC oh, Rex Fira yeah. Johns. And so next time we have the Phantom Stranger. Yes, probably. The, so the next episode when we do this will probably be covering, I believe, I believe issues eleven and twelve are one arc. So we will pro- So the next episode will probably cover eleven and twelve. But. Mm-hmm. Which will be cool. Phantom Stranger will be cool. That should make Chad happy. Not that he'll listen, but it should make him happy. <laughs> I'll, have to, I'll have to remind him the Phantom Stranger is showing up. Tell him that the Phantom Stranger is in one, and in the next one, it's Ragman. Ragman. <laughs> from, from here on out, they alternate every issue. Oh, man. Yeah. Yeah. Jackson. <laughs> Jackson Pollock. Oh, man. Good times, man. Hilarious. Hilarious! Uh, I love Wonder Woman and her her Roman heritage. Ah, <laughs> uh, 
Yeah, that's that's right, Chad. Come at me. <laughs> it's all Greek to me, man. But I'm bummed. <laughs> oh, maybe it's gonna it was... be all all Greek to everybody watching the movie next year too. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and that that actually could that that's gonna be true one way or another. <laughs> Given DC's track record right now, <laughs> this 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 is this is true. You know, we'll we'll probably, well, actually we can still talk about it in the Twilight podcast because everybody listens to both. But yes, as we speak, uh, looks like uh, Suicide Squad at the very least will be heading. It'll be <laughs> headed towards another Batman versus Superman size critical disaster. That pretty much is guaranteed at this point. Uh, yeah. Now the only the only thing that remains to be seen is how how that impacts the opening weekend. Whether it hurts it like seemingly the bad box office kind of derailed a little bit Batman versus Superman's box still did well obviously, but it kind of like rolled it back rolled back the momentum and clearly this it's not a good thing. Let's put it that way. <laughs> having yeah. having having two to three full days of horrible reviews even before the first showings on Thursday night are not going to be good for yeah, the, no. the movie. But the question yeah. will be, the real question, the wild card in this, speaking of the Joker, is going to be whether the fans think of this movie very much like they thought of Batman vs. Superman. Because I've already seen the spin about this, how how people are already starting. And I know you tend, not saying you're you're going to agree with this now, but I'm saying you tend, you tend to be, give this more credence or believe it's possible, the idea that, you know, the anti-DC... <laughs> bias in, the, in with the critics, but already I've seen people today, much like before Batman vs. Superman came out, that oh, it's just the critics, oh, they hate DC because it's in to hate DC, and let's boycott Rotten Tomatoes and all this stuff, and it's like... Oh, yeah. And, and it's like, guys, it's like you may like the movie, I may like the movie, Jim may like the movie, and maybe the consensus this time will be the critics are wrong, and they just didn't get it, but the fans liked it. But you can't... But based on DC's track record up to this point, you can't keep saying, oh, look, especially when people go off the deep end and go, oh, it's comic book movies. People, I mean, the critics always hate those. Yeah, except for basically all the Marvel movies, all the Nolan movies, Deadpool, almost all the X-Men movies have gotten better have gotten better uh, reviews than anything in the DC Cinematic Universe. So, yeah, you know, my, my thought is that, like... The initial reviews, I don't really trust, just because, like, at, you know, we're, we're in a day and age where, like, a reviewer can make a name for themselves if they have, like, the first, like, biggest, baddest review, you know? And I mean, like, that, that's, like, that that's true of, uh, I mean, like, let's see, Pix, Pixels, Pixels was one of them. You remember the that that one like killer review for Pixels, and I mean I'm not defending the movie Pixels, but I mean like that dude like got his review like out before anybody else, and it was like you know everybody's like like it's the worst review for for a movie that anybody's ever heard of, you know, and that becomes viral because not because people are really curious about how Pixels is, but because of the you know the notoriety of this bad review. So, like like I said, like the very initial reviews, I don't, you know, give them much credence. However, like now here we are, we're approaching Thursday and we've got 121 reviews. And it's 31%. 31%. I mean, like that's that's definitely not a good sign. Like there's still a lot of aspects about this movie that I do want to see. Like, even, like, with with Superman versus Batman, like, it's like, oh, yeah, yeah, I'll probably just go end up seeing that eventually. And I ended up not, just because, you know, with time and, like, all the bad reviews, and it was so controversial how, like, some people really defended it, and some people absolutely hated it. And, you know, between, like, just finding the time to get a sitter and go see the movies is, like, not really the easiest thing for me. Right. You know, so, eventually I came to the realization, it's like, well, you know what, like, do I really care about this movie? Because I'm sure Ben Affleck is a good Batman, you know? I, I don't doubt that. Everybody, That's what everybody, you know, took away from the movie. And that Wonder Woman was really good for, like, the short amount of time that she was in it. But, I mean, like, 
like, I'm a DC fan, but I was not a fan of Man of Steel. I, you know, like, it was, it was not, not the kind of Superman that I look forward to seeing. So I'm like, like, wait a second. I'm like, there's no Green Lantern in this. There's, like, no chances of any Green Lantern being in these, like, for a while, apparently. It's like, is this really a priority for me? And it wasn't. Now, Suicide Squad, there's, a, like I said, a lot more aspects to this movie that I'm very curious to see. And I think if you go into this movie with, one, low expectations... And two, the expectations that, like, what you're looking for are, like, some random pieces focusing on specific characters here and there. I think that they can't help but deliver on at least that. You know? Right. I mean, I'm going to go see it. I, my expectations would be, would have been low anyway. So... Uh, obviously, they'll be even lower now. <laughs> yeah. Which just tells you, if when your expectations go even lower, and if you go in and you still don't come out liking it, then that just tells you, wow, that movie was probably really bad. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I didn't buy Batman vs. Superman yet. I know my friend did, so I'm probably... I, I just want to watch the director's cut. I want to see if it's any better, even though the idea of it being half an hour longer is not exactly that enticing <laughs> to me. Um, yeah, yeah, I... I watched a half hour roughly of the of the Batman vs Superman movie and I mean granted I was watching when I was very tired so I ended up falling asleep but I mean the movie didn't really give me many options many reasons to like it's like oh I have to fight sleep so that I can continue watching this movie so yeah so like I do want to see the director's cut now instead because I've heard that that's a little more true to the vision and idea of the movie, but again, it's like it's like. Well, I had trouble watching a half hour of this movie. Now I'm gonna watch a half hour more than the actual the- theatrical time. I know it is. It is kind of. It definitely is kind of asking a lot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All I ask is an entire Saturday to watch this movie. But we will, yeah. It'll be, it'll be curious. I'm curious anyway to see if it's any better. But as far as Suicide Squad goes, yes, it's like, hey, yes. One, like the disclaimer, I think we did on our BVS episode. It's like, no, nobody's saying you shouldn't go see this just because the critics are saying that it sucks. Nobody's saying that you should make up your own. If you really want to see it, go see it. No one's telling you not to. You, you know, to or base your entire mindset and your opinion on other people's or your decision on someone else's opinion. That being said, honestly, don't don't make don't make fan fanboys and I'm not a fan of that term, but don't make fanboys look stupid or make us look bad by coming out and oh and oh it's you know the critics have it out for this or have it out for that and oh uh, it's it's the studio it's because the the other narrative we're gonna hear oh it's because the studio made those reshoots and made the movie worse it's like listen. <laughs> If the studio had those reshoots made, it was for a reason, and, and and they could be wrong. I'm not saying it's impossible for them to be wrong, but from their point of view, the reason why they had those reshoots made after Batman vs. Superman came out and did horribly was because they were not happy with the movie that they had <laughs> you know, in the can, that they were not confident that this movie, following this movie, was going to work. So they did what they could to try to make it better. Did it make it better? We, um, there's almost no way to know unless there actually is a di- pure director's cut <laughs> of Suicide Squad released at one point, and then we can compare. But it's like the same people that try that tried to be what Trank apologists for Fantastic Four because <laughs> all oh, God. it's because and I've heard people say this. Oh, it's because the studio got involved and they took away his vision. It's like no, the studio saw a steaming pile of crap and they tried to and they had le- very little time left and they tried to do what they could to make it better. It still was going to be crap. I mean, you can't. <laughs> You can, can't polish a turret and make it a diamond, but you can't. But you can hopefully make it slightly less bad, and that's what they tried to do, and they probably did do that. I mean, no, the only person besides Trank who said the Fantastic Four there was a better version that came out was I think the guy who played the Thing, and that was almost like a year, like almost like a year later, sometime in this earlier this year, I think he said that something along the lines that Trank's that Trank's version 
was better or implied it. And it's like, that could just mean he's looking for a job to work for Trank again when Trank finally gets to work again. But, I mean, mean, people just have to not be be emotional about this and try to be objective as much as people can be, which is a hard thing these days in life and politics and everything else. Try to step back and try to be a little objective and look at things from the other side. The studio is not going to go out of their way to screw something up on purpose. The studio... And yes, there's no good track record with DC and WB working together that indicates they they have an idea. Maybe and that's probably what Jeff Johns' role may, may very well be to kind of have an idea of yes, this works. That's you know this tone works, this script works. Go with it. But the idea that so there's nothing that has given us the, the confidence that they really know what the hell's going to work. So that that's fair criticism. But it's not like studios haven't released good movies before, including WB, superhero movies, and they, you know, you didn't see him sending Nolan back for massive reshoots like two weeks, like, like two months before Dark Knight Rises came out. <laughs> it's like, you don't, and obviously you could only do so much with that, you know, because we know with, with, with Heath, but the point is, if you're confident in your movie, no matter what they tell, we, I mean, come on, we, we all know when, when, uh, when Ayers came out at like four months ago or whatever, after somewhere around them after Batman vs. Superman came out, when the, when all the reshoots were being ordered, and he came out and fed fed us the line that, oh, the studio is always great when the studio loves your movie and wants and wants you to give them more. It's like, nobody nobody bought that shit because it just, <laughs> cause it just reeked. I mean, it is your worst kind of spin possible. Nobody bought that. If the studio was happy with the movie, they wouldn't be tinkering with it a couple of months before release. Or they would be having, oh, maybe do this little bit, maybe do this little bit, do this shoot a scene or two or something like that. You're not going to go back and, and really screw around with the, with the tempo of the movie if they think it's working. And now, now yes. I'm going to cut in there, though, because okay. the one thing, and this is like something that we're going to have to wait and see, but with Star Wars Rogue One, like that one went back for yes. like a decent amount of uh, reshoots as well. Yes, and then you were... And we and see, in a way, it kind of becomes. We know reshoots in general are part of the game. Every movie yeah. goes back. Every, I mean, we we know that. Well, I think most movie savvy fans uh, know that. Yes, some a certain amount of reshoots are expected. They're planned on. They're scheduled. You you know, that's okay. So there's a fine line between. And again, it's always you're never gonna unless you're inside. You're never gonna know how many how massive the reshoots are because they're always gonna try to downplay it. Unless you're like something like World War Z, where you almost have no choice because like literally half, half or a third of the movie had to be rewritten because it, from the, like the midpoint on, it had to be all rewritten and redone. But so we don't know what the deal is. Of course, the spin after the fact, the initial spin was, oh, they were really unhappy with the movie, the studio. Then the spin was, well, there was not so much they were really unhappy with the movie. They thought it was good. They were a little unhappy with the tone because they thought it was a little too dark, considering that this literally takes place like about 10 minutes before Start a New Hope. <laughs> By the time it ends, it's like literally about to, New Hope is about to begin. So I think tonally, so that was the latest spin. We don't know if it's true, of course. That tonally, they, they didn't think the movies kind of meshed, and they thought there should have been a little bit more cohesion. We're, we're not going to know. Even after we see the movie, we're not going to know. If we see the movie and we like it, it still doesn't mean that the movie was worse before. If the movie comes out and we don't like it, it doesn't mean the movie was, wasn't, you know, the movie isn't a better, you know, the version we got was still the better version compared to what we could have gotten. We don't know. Right, but, but, but like, depending on how the movie does, and I mean, it's a Star Wars movie, so. It's not going to bomb. Assuming. We know it's going to do, it's going to do fine. Yeah, but, well. Most likely, most it's not going to do as it's not going to do episode money fine. It's going to do fine. I don't think anybody has realistic expectations. It's going to you know do like a hundred eighty, a hundred eighty, hundred ninety million dollar opening weekend for Rogue One. But. Yeah, but my point is though that like if they can get away with doing a bunch of reshoots and it ends up being like you know critically loved and makes tons of money and everybody goes to see it a bunch of times and everything like that, then at least we will know that, you know, like, when they say it's like, yeah, they're going back in for a bunch of reshoots. Like, it doesn't necessarily have to be the end of the world. Oh, no. I, you know? I, I agree. And I, th- I think, to be fair, if we really went back and, and did a lot of research, I think we would already know that there are a bunch of movies that went back for 
serious reshoots, and the movie didn't. The movie did okay. I mean, yeah. I didn't. I didn't like using this example. I didn't like World War Z that much. I thought it was okay. I fell asleep on it when I saw it in the theater. The reality is, whatever they did for World War Z worked because that movie ended up being moderately a critic on a critical level, a moderate success, and it made a good amount of money. It didn't bomb, when everybody was saying that movie was dead man walking because of the buzz about that movie. The problems yeah. between Brad Pitt and the director, the fact that the script had to be scrapped, at least like a third of it, and then the reshoots. They just thought this was going to be a train wreck. It's no way it could work. And while it's not, it's not war, and, you know, it's not the Godfather or anything like that. It's it was a decent movie. It did pretty decent at the box office and good enough for whether we ever get a sequel or not and I don't think we need one but whether they we actually ever get it at the time it was did well enough where they were going to green light a sequel to it so that kind of worked I think there's there's other examples but again that's the one that just sticks in my mind because it's one of the one of the more one of the more recent ones um, had did the good dinosaur make money or not when that came out um. I I don't think that one did great, I don't think. Yeah, I feel like you're correct. Let me see. I, yeah, I know I know my son saw it with uh, my brother and sister-in-law. And, that's, and, then, and, that, and that's kind of a diff. no pun intended, that's kind of a different animal anyway, even if it didn't. Uh, because I think, now unless, I'm pretty sure that's the, I think that's the movie that had to go back to the, the animated movie that had to go back to the drawing board. Uh... Uh, box office was 331 million worldwide. Yeah. So that's 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 okay. That's uh, pretty good. Yeah, I don't know what the and I don't think the production budget, even though it is animated, I don't think the production budget would have been ginormous on that one. So it probably wasn't a failure. But I think I could be wrong, but I, but I I think no, that's Pixar, right? Yeah. So I'm pretty sure it's got to be this movie. That this was a movie that, that I think they are they had either filmed slash animated most of it or almost all of it and they had a, and there was something with the story they didn't like and they had to go back and do it and start and start over and I think that's why it was delayed and came out as late as it did so I but you know so that's it's animated so it's not quite the same but yeah it's this is a, but that's another example of a movie which I think it did, it did okay I think uh, overall wasn't a it wasn't a huge hit but I think it so I and again if we really spent some time and maybe for in a different episode down the road, it'll be just curiosity, just to see if the kind of pull out some. Got 77 on Rotten Tomatoes, so at least critically it did fine. <laughs> uh, yeah. So I think there are examples. Every time people, hear, I'm just concerned from a fa- from a fan reaction point of view. They just every time they hear that, oh, a movie's either going back for reshoots, or the rumors are that it's going back to, for large scale reshoots. That automatically almost gives them a a blank check to just automatically assume that the studio, if the movie doesn't work. If the movie still stinks, or it does stink, that it's the studio's fault. It wasn't at the studio, and and, and yeah, we know there are people in the studios who don't get it. <laughs> I mean, I'm, nobody's naive here. It's just that it's not the, but the, the pendulum isn't completely doesn't swing the other way either, where nobody gets it. You know, some people get it. Some people know when it's a good movie. Some people have an idea. Yeah, this is going to work. This is fine. We're happy with it. And sometimes when you're not, it's for a specific reason, whether Rogue One's given reason was true or not. But we'll see, and we'll and Rogue One, we'll, we'll we'll have an idea. But I think I don't think Suicide Squad getting crappy reviews is gonna is because of the reshoots. I think it was the movie. I think the movie was gonna get crappy reviews anyway, and who knows? We still may have gotten the better the better version of it. We don't know, but it's not. I don't think this one's fair to blame to blame the studio for ordering reshoots. I think they were probably trying to save a movie they thought was not good, mm-hmm. but. But we will see how it does. It's still, it's still going to have a very good opening weekend. The question will be, what happens afterwards? <laughs> what kind of fallout there's going to be from for DC movies going down the road again? But that's pretty much it, I think. You have anything? Yeah, else? I. Uh, it's, I know, because because we because because Jim and I have more recording to do once this episode wraps. <laughs> So, yeah, I mean, like we could, we could continue talking about movies, but we won't. But we won't. Not <laughs> now. Uh, we have a nice, a nicely, uh, 
a nice, appropriately sized episode based on the material we were covering tonight, so we don't want to push it. So Significantly, be, yeah, really. Yes, we, it worked out quite nicely. We got good content from the issue, and then we had some good post-issue discussion. So before I give us give the familiar closing, why don't you why don't you push uh, our toy podcast among anything else you want to push? <laughs> okay, so yeah, we were t- we were doing a bunch of movie talk, and if you want to hear more movie talk, <laughs> then uh, tune in to the uh, greatest toy podcast. Let's see, it'll probably be episode twenty two that we continue these conversations. Oh. Of course, anybody listening to that won't know that we started the conversation in the Lantern cast, but we'll, we'll mention that we'll mention it though there too. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Yeah, so we'll we'll throw out a little bit of a little bit of stuff in that one as well. But yeah, it's also it's a it's a toy podcast <laughs> first and foremost. Yeah, that that whole thing. Greatesttoypodcast.com. We're on iTunes, and uh, that's it. Take it away. Cool. So. Like to contact us, talk about pre-birth or any other Lantern Cast business uh, or business, if you will. Uh, <laughs> LanternCast at gmail.com. Our website is LanternCast.com. Check out our Dark Star reviews or blogs, Ring Cyclopedia episodes, which we're all slacking off on, but there'll be one coming. Uh, all our episodes are there. You can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and like us on Facebook. Use hashtag GLCast to locate us on any of those. We are on iTunes and Stitcher, so if you listen to us on one or both and you like our show, please leave us positive reviews. Last but not least, if you'd like to leave us a voicemail, 708-LANTERN, 708-LANTERN, and let us know what you think. So this we're recording this in the first week in August, so I'm going to suspect Jim and I probably won't be back doing this until September. Uh... So then we'll probably, like I mentioned, we should be covering issues 11 and 12, which deals with the Phantom Stranger. So tune in. Tune in and, and let us know what you think about this, epi- this episode, because we, I think the, this issue that we reviewed is definitely one, I think, of one of our favorites of this entire series. So uh, it'd be cool to get some, to get some feedback. Yes, any feedback at all, that's, please. That's right. We 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 haven't got nearly as much as we'd like, but but. We we know we know you care, but but prove it, <laughs> please. We're not asking you to prove your love, but We're begging you know, it. No. Pr- please please prove your love. Uh, okay. So, so until next time, good night everybody. So long. Quarters in session. No appeal on the docket today, just my own sin.